This is Steve Thompson. Today, we continue to read how Nehemiah was bringing Judah back into alignment with how God had asked them to order their lives. They had reread the law and remembered that God said, There is a way to live life that brings wholeness, peace, or shalom, and life. And then there is a way to live life that reaps consequences, chaos, and death. Our Father God is constantly offering us those two choices. So let's read how they continued to align their lives after bringing all the Levites and musicians back into the city for a huge party and worship celebration. Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 44 through 47. On that day, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the offerings, the first part of the harvest, and the tithes. They were responsible to collect from the fields outside the towns the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. For all the people of Judah took joy in the priests and Levites in their work. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification as commanded by David and his son Solomon, and so did the singers and the gatekeepers. The custom of having choir directors to lead the choirs in hymns of praise and thanksgiving to God began long ago in the days of David and Asaph. So now, in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel brought a daily supply of food for the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Levites. The Levites, in turn, gave a portion of what they received to the priests, the descendants of Aaron. The broader principle that I feel God asking of each of us, that really all of Scripture hammers home, is where is your life out of alignment with kingdom life, with God's life? What steps do you need to take to bring your life into alignment? What decisions do you need to make to keep every area of your life submitted to the Lordship and direction of Jesus. So here specifically in this little passage in Nehemiah 12, we're challenged by how the people of Judah were determined to bring their financial lives back in line with God's promises so that worship of God could become a priority. For the Hebrew people, the temple in Jerusalem was the place of God's presence on earth. It was the epicenter of all worship activity. In order to keep first things first, they needed to tithe. They needed to give 10% of their income, set apart a portion of their faith family to make sure they continued to connect with God in the way that God had prescribed. So the priests and the Levites were a necessary part of making sure that the rhythms of life were always reflecting God's priorities and God's redemptive work in the world. And whenever people started pursuing their own purposes and pleasures, that was the first line item of the budget to get cut because it doesn't make sense. I'm sure we find the same thing. So now the people who were set apart to lead and encourage the spiritual lives of the faith family of Israel could no longer do their function without starving. So they had to get other jobs. In their economy, everything was agriculture and sometimes livestock. But most all of the priests and the Levites 
packed up their families, moved out of town, and settled on a plot of land and began subsistence farming. It was just a reality of the situation. But I think we need to understand the staggering ask that Nehemiah was asking the people when he called them to an all-or-nothing commitment to God's covenant, God's way. For those of you who've been followers of Jesus for a long time, just try and think back to the first time that you were challenged to begin giving 10% or more of your income back to God. Do you remember how you felt? You might have said, you're crazy. I can't give that much away. Or you might have said, no way, that's impossible. Do you know how much I'm paying just to pay down my credit card debt? Because I hear those things all the time. I know that giving and giving percentages upwards of 20 to 10 to 20% of what we bring in just seems absurd and unrealistic. But here we have a people that were largely just squeaking out an existence to survive. Remember, they couldn't even pay their taxes, and they didn't have credit cards to shuffle their debt around to, so instead they had to sell their own children and even sometimes themselves into slavery to pay off debt. These were the majority of people being asked to make a declaration with their livelihood that they trusted God and were ready to make God the absolute center of their lives and their finances. But near as we can tell, these people didn't bat an eye. You didn't hear this crazy record scratch and then the entire party grind to a halt. From the way Nehemiah tells the story, this was all a result of the people's joy and gratitude. They wanted to give everything the law had prescribed for them to give and more. Nehemiah had to create a few special positions just to responsibly take care of and administer the disbursement of everything that was coming in. Their giving was an expression of worship, an overflow of gratitude, and a declaration of ultimate trust in the one who provided for their every need. So for me, I'm challenged about my giving. I personally think that my our, our family's quantity is okay. I mean, I believe we're being obedient to giving beyond 10% and, and trying to give generously. But I've really had to stop and think about how I'm giving. Am I giving joyfully? Does my bi-weekly auto-withdrawal from my bank to Watermark and the couple of other ministries that we give to, does that look like an expression of gratitude? Or does it look more like duty at this point? Hmm. <laughs> That's what I have to think on. And so I'll just leave you with these words that Paul wrote to one of his church plants, Corinth, when he was asking them to make some really big sacrificial gifts to their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem again, who were now 400 years later suffering through a terrible fat famine. So this is Paul. In 2 Corinthians, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, 
and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things, two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ, and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift. Too wonderful for words. Father, would you today help us to give generously, joyfully, with a cheerful heart. I pray that the next time we are prompted to give or you're nudging us or challenging us, calling us out to give more or to give to something or or to give away or to just invite in and be hospitable, that that would be a catalyst for more joy in our life, a catalyst, uh, a thirst to do more things that are just like that. So, Father, here are our hearts, and we ask you to be gentle um, because we know that, that the purse strings, that the, that the checkbook can be one of those hardest things to give back to you. But, Lord, I pray that it would be given to you out of joyful generosity, a response to your grace to us. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name. Amen.